You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. The 2007 housing market meltdown was tough on millions of people, including many developers. In this episode, you'll hear from someone who lost almost all of his money back then, but managed to stage an incredibly successful comeback. He did that by discovering a back door into the real estate development business. Instead of developing the land, Cody Bugen arranged to have it approved or entitled, which is often one of the toughest parts of any big project. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Cody is now a full-fledged developer with 30 projects and 2,300 residential units under his belt. And he also founded a company called Vestrite to teach people how to do entitlements. He says it's a simple way to create five to seven-figure paydays from off-market land deals without owning or developing the land. So Cody, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I got to meet you at Ken McElroy's 60th birthday party, I think, and yeah. was really interested in what you're doing. You're helping people understand how to do land entitlement. That's a mysterious business. So tell me how you got started and then how you got into that part of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I got into raw land and development and home building Geez, back in 2002, and uh, what I was in before then, I was in the trades, right? So I was I was running a, a business in the floor and counter industry, and so a lot of my contacts, friends, acquaintances were home builders, land developers, you know, so on and so forth. And just one thing led to another, and I made the leap. And so, and we've kind of done the same thing ever since 2002, uh, and just recently started teaching it not just doing it, but teaching it in 2019. Um, and our it, the best way I know how to explain what we do is one is everything we do is off market. So we're in control of our own deal flow. And we're not, we, we don't wait around for on market deals to where, um, you know, what we found with on market raw land is, is it's either overpriced or there's something wrong with it. And if, ne if neither of those are the case, then what happens is everybody just kicks each other's teeth in trying to get the deal um, and squeezes a lot of the um, opportunity out of, out of the property. So, uh, so we've done all off market since then uh, we do in-house prospecting. We, you know, we do cold calls and mailers and um, you know, so that's, that's been really a blessing for our business as far as controlling deal flow. And then, but it's all raw land that has development potential. Right. And so what we specialize is going out and prospecting, prospecting it, acquiring it, you know, and then we take it through the approval process or the entitlement process. Some people call it, it's the political process you got to go through. And then we get the subdivision or the multifamily apartment complex or whatever approved. And it used to be that then we'd go put in all the infrastructure, develop it, you know, do all the, you know, that put in the roads, put in the parking lots, if it's multifamily, all the utilities, um, and then we would build the vertical complex as well. But the last several years, um, we've just been exiting all of our deals at entitlements. And so we get it through the political approval process and then we exit. And the reason for that is just the demand on the market. So mm -hmm. like some of my bigger client, bigger clients are public companies like DR Horton, Lennar, companies like that. And that they need to feed the machine. You know, there's such a need for housing right now that we're able to exit at entitlements for a price that quite frankly, 
there's, it's not worth the risk or the, or the additional capital um, to, to take on the development process. There's just not enough meat left on the bone. And so we've just been exiting entitlements. And so, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's a blue ocean. Like one, very few people know how to do off-market prospecting. And two, even fewer know how the entitlement, the approval process works. And so it's been a real blessing to not only do it for so many years, but now to be teaching it and seeing how it's impacting other people's lives. Yeah, very exciting. Okay, so how you started as a in the industry, in the trades. So yep. yeah, yep. and then saw what other uh, developers were doing. It takes quite a skill to work with uh, planning commissions, right? You're dealing with politicians, not professional ones, really, just kind of local people, sometimes the old boys club um, in smaller towns and are the good old boys or the bad old boys, whatever they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there like bribery that goes on with these kind? You know, I mean, I know you can't <laughs> say it, but I mean, I, I know just recently in Malibu, they were questioning our planning commission if they got bribed to get some of this commercial space in that nobody wanted. So, I mean, what kinds of things do you see that get a planning commission or like the council to approve things? So that... Um... So I can tell you've been around the block and you've been exposed to things like this. Uh, I've never been asked that question and it's a great question. And you're just getting right to the, right to the heart of it all. Um, let me start off by saying that the reason these large companies find so much value in my business and what we do is because you know, the, like these public companies, they're held to this very um, specific box they can work within. They not only are that those companies aren't built on um, their teams, their focus is not creativity. Their focus is following the policies and procedures and working within the box of that public. And so they're, they're, they're not, um, they're not, they weren't hired for creativity. Two is, like I said, the box doesn't even allow the creativity if you were creative. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we oftentimes feel like we're a chameleon, right? And so, and we're, we're, we're trying to figure out how to make a deal work for the property owner that works for the property owner, figuring out what their hot buttons are, how to, how to make it a win-win deal, which most of my clients don't have the flexibility to do that. And then I got to figure out how to speak the language of the jurisdiction. I got to figure out what's important to that jurisdiction. What are their hot buttons? I mean, we're getting to a point now where we're, we're, we haven't done it yet, but this is something that's, um, that, that's going to happen this year is we're going to start going and, 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 and pulling all public records of past hearings and run that through a transcription that then for any commissioner, we can go and do a keyword search and figure out what are common words those different commissioners use, right? To figure out what's important to them. Mm -hmm. And you, you got to know how to speak their language. You got to know how to, I can't tell you how many times I've fallen on the sword to make the politicians, the jurisdiction look good and mm -hmm. look like they had the communities and they do, well, some of them uh, mm -hmm. have the communities, the public's best interest in mind. Is, is that if I can look like I got slaughtered, 
then the, 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 the jurisdictional body looks good or that they won. And I'm okay falling on the sword as long as the overall deal works. It's, it's, it's no different than any other negotiation in business. Mm-hmm. You figure out what's important to both sides and figure out how to structure a deal that works for everybody. So I've fallen on many swords that were sharp that because the jurisdiction wanted me to fall on that sword. Mm-hmm. But understand, I was getting taken care of in other places, you know, other areas of the deal, other areas of the project to make the overall project work. And so, but yeah. if you're not willing to think creatively and figure out how, where there's a will, there's a way, that's the reality. Yeah. And so, but if you're not willing to put out that effort or be creative like that, um, the entitlement process can be very, very challenging because it's a, it's an ebb and flow and that there are behind closed door meetings. I mean, I can tell you with a clear conscience, have I ever bribed a jurisdiction or have I ever bribed a commissioner? <laughs> no, but here, here again, just be an open book with you. That's my commitment here on these podcasts is, is pull back the curtain. Uh, the closest thing I can think of that I've ever done to that is a behind closed door meeting with the head of a school district because there was a moratorium in that jurisdiction because the schools were overcrowded, mm-hmm. right? And so there was no more development allowed for a period of time. And the way I got my project through is that I agreed to donate enough money to the juris- to the school district for them to go buy a portable that would, that would fit the number of ch- children that were going to be added by my project. Right? That's so, the kind of creativity you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. 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 We had a situation like that in our Bozeman, Montana project where uh, we tried to get higher density than we were allowed. And, um, and so that obviously affected the numbers. And, but then we found out that they had um, encroached onto our property with this new school they were building. And instead of telling them they couldn't build the school, it's like, okay. You could, yeah. you could stay on our land, but we want these additional units and we got it yeah. like 70, yeah. 70 more homes, which may, is going to make all the difference. I mean, that's a win-win. I mean, here's reality. It's a win-win. Yeah. And if, and if anything like that sounds unethical, that's what, what you did there is not unethical at all. You figured out how to make a situation work for all sides. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's the type of, that's how, you, I mean, that's how, that's how you do it. <laughs> that's how enti- knock on wood. Thank the Lord. Um, yeah. I feel ble- very blessed to be able to say this, but up to this point, we've never not been able to get a project approved. That's a big but it's deal because of our commitment to this type of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's not for the faint of heart by any means. You have to have great social skills and creativity. And, and I, I love what you said, just like really looking, that's the key to negotiations, right? Is finding out what everybody wants and finding a way to, to get as close to that as you can, or at least where everybody maybe gives in a little, but gets a little too. Yeah, that's right. Like pick your battles. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, it's crazy. Cause I, I guess I've been negotiating so long. It's crazy for me to think that I would go into a negotiation without wanting to totally figure out what makes you tick. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause how am I going to, I got to know what battles I'm going to pick and I got to know what my strategy is. I got to know my goal going into any type of negotiation is knowing where the conversation is going to be 10 minutes before it gets there. Mm. Yeah, that's a skill. Wow. Oh, very exciting. Okay. So today 
what it sounds like there's a lot of uh, builders or developers looking for land where they can do build to rent. Are you seeing that as one of the hottest um, activities right now in terms of land development? Yeah, you know, the, the beautiful thing is when you know how to do off market acquisitions and you know how the entitlement process works, it really applies to any asset class. So I don't care if you want to do build for rent, multifamily, storage, single family, retail, it really doesn't matter because the the process is the same no matter, well, 90% the same no matter what the asset class is. So related to single family specifically and and build the rent is that's really been a trending thing lately. And I will tell you for a while now, few, I'm going to say a few years, I've been not considering those, those companies as potential buyers of mine. Mm -hmm. It's become so overwhelming though, because I'll just tell you straight up what they're willing to pay for my dirt. Because when you're doing a build to rent performer or evaluation, it works completely different than a build to sell. And mm -hmm. quite frankly, majority of the time, as long as it's, it's, it's in the right market and the right size project, the builder rent guys can actually pay more, hmm. uh, but their criteria and kind of the box that they have to operate within is, is tighter. Meaning that, you know, I can go do a 300 lot single family project out in a tertiary market and it works all day for the build to sell guys, but for the build to rent, it doesn't. And so um, they, they can't take down as many of my deals, but the deals they can take down they're they're definitely, they, uh, they have a seat at the table. Why, why does it not work for them? Cause it's too out there or too tertiary or. I think it's, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's for numerous reasons, but I would say the main is just, um, is, um, the demand, right. So the absorption mm -hmm. that, you know, to sell, a, you know, 300 homes in a secondary tertiary market is a lot different than renting 300 homes in that market. And two, it's just the rents, right? Their performance is all based on NOI, right? What are their rents? What are their expenses? What's their NOI? And then they do their caps. And, and um, it just seems like if it's not in a market, um, it seems like people are willing, and don't hold me to this because this isn't what I do, but it seems like people are willing to travel further to own something versus willing to travel further to rent something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's kind of always been the case. Yeah. I thought maybe it changed a little with COVID that, that you know, they just want to live yeah. anywhere that's yeah. away from others, but, and has a yard and that may Which be is true. true. Yeah. Which is true. I mean, we've always kind of been on the outskirts um, of, of markets and <laughs> and when COVID hit, we went from uh, our demand just went through the went through the roof. And you're exactly right; it's because people started moving out of the cities. And and now, I mean, we're doing large deals in, in tertiary markets where a few years ago I would have had a hard time finding a buyer. And yeah. now I'm finding a buyer for very large projects. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, I mean, were you lucky enough to be in this business ten years ago when land was like? 10 cents on the dollar. I was lucky enough to, uh, to get my butt whooped in 0708 because <laughs> I was developing a bunch of deals and I lost 90% of my net worth, Ooh. but I was in my twenties. And I'll tell you that, um, 
that I, I learned a whole lot more losing it than I did making it, no doubt. And- oh, let's talk about that because a lot of my listeners did go through that and a lot didn't. Yeah. Um, so, and it's always really exciting to me to see someone who got really hit hard and wiped out, I did, um, and then be able to get back up and and yeah. pick yourself back up and go do better. Um, yeah. So what were you doing in in the middle? I was of- doing this exact thing. I was, I was okay. doing off-market acquisitions and entitlements, but also back then I was developing the projects and building houses. And so, oh. um, you know, and, and uh, when it hit, it hit hard. You know, I, I can think of a project. It was like a 90 lot project that I was in the middle of developing. Uh, I can't remember even how many millions I had out on that deal um, in capital and cash and then three times that in debt. And, and, but from the time I started the project, had all the lots pre-sold to the time that I finished the project, the lots had almost decreased in value by 60%. And Mm -hmm. so I was just toast. And, you know, I had so many friends. I mean, I know people that committed suicide during that time and I had numerous friends um, you know, go bankrupt. And I'll tell you, I didn't, I didn't go bankrupt and I'm thankful for that, but it's not because I was any smarter than the next guy. It was just because I was developing in numerous markets and there's some markets that get hit before others. And when I got hit in a, in a market that wasn't my main market, cause it got hit first, it allowed me to come back home and start getting out all my deals. And that's the only thing that really saved me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, 90% of the net worth, but I, you know, I was in my, you know, mid, I was in my late twenties and, but I, I needed it, man. It humbled me. I, w- I was a snot nosed punk kid that thought I knew everything. I didn't have mentors. I didn't read books. I didn't have coaches. I didn't have courses, mastermind, none of that. I just, I thought I was the man and I deserved to, to get whooped on and, and, and get humbled. And, but here's the thing. I, I missed a great opportunity when that market turned because I was so focused on, you know, survival and, and how to, to make it through it that, and because I didn't have great people around me to, to mentor me and educate me, uh, as much as I was losing over here, I should have been buying left and right over here because mm-hmm. I am absolutely convinced. Yeah. A lot of people are making great money right now and that's wonderful. Right. But Let's not forget a lot of why we're all making a lot of money right now is the market. Yeah. Um, it's not because we're brilliant. Uh, <laughs> and so there's a lot of people right now thinking they're really smart. Yeah. And the reality is, is, is it's the market making them money, not them making money. Because if the market wouldn't have done this, their deals wouldn't have gone so well. And so I always try to keep that in perspective. Mm-hmm. But so there's, I'll say there's a lot of people making great money right now. But the way to generate some amazing wealth is in a downturn, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and I know that this time, I didn't know that last time. Yeah, yeah. No, I was lucky enough uh, to have met a developer right around 2010 who was going into the banks and looking at all these projects, probably yep. from maybe some of yours. Guys like know. my, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, you know, they, the, the banks didn't want these started projects or these half completed ones and uh, they they just had boxes and boxes and boxes rooms filled with boxes of foreclosed subdivisions and land that they didn't know what to do with and didn't want and and we were able to get uh 4200 acre uh 4200 lots in tampa 
for 10 cents on the dollar. But, you know, fast forward, it, it was a lot of land that was 10 years ago. And here we are just selling the bulk lots because it was a big undertaking putting in the roads. And um, we turned the golf course feature into a water feature so you can paddleboard yeah. around and stuff. Uh, I called it Crystal Lagoon. But just now selling those bulk lots, the timing's great for us. And yeah. it's good, but it could have been very different, right? You, yeah. you just never know. So where do you see things headed? Um, you've been through an up cycle, a down cycle, an even bigger up cycle. Uh, a lot of people think we're maybe headed for another roller coaster ride down. Uh, others think it's just going to continue being a frenzy. What are your thoughts? Uh, uh, so I definitely don't have the crystal ball. And we're definitely in uncharted territory. I, I, it's hard to, now I'll tell you, I'm not a big research guy. I'm not a big, uh, uh, historical buff, but I have a lot of smart people around me. My conclusion or like even my clients that are publics, right. I mean, they have departments that all they do is study this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I listen to what they have to say and I look at how aggressive they're being. Mm -hmm. I will tell you where I'm at. Okay. Is, is that my business is multiple times over again, bigger than it's ever been in my whole career. And the reason for that is because I figured out in 2020, I had to get out of the way. I was the one holding the company back. I'm a visionary. I'm not an executive. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not an executive. So I now have a headquarters in Dallas, Texas with a CEO, great executives, phenomenal team. Uh, I'm back here at Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, and as the visionary and founder, but we're going hard. We're scaling across the country right now, doing projects all over the country. And, and we're going very, very hard. Uh, we, we, we believe right now we're trying to be aggressive through 25 is our current plan. And obviously constantly reevaluating that. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're doing is I think anybody and everybody, in my opinion, should have one way to generate a lot of capital or ordinary income and then have an investment side of, of their company or uh, of their, their business where they're doing something with all that capital. Right. And, yeah. and I think if you just are in, if you just in the investment and hold, it's slower, it's, that's a lot slower to scale that. Mm -hmm. Then if you have a machine that also generates capital. And so yeah. what we do generates the capital. And then in 22 and going forward, we're going to start investing more of our capital than we ever have. I'm really comfortable with like storage and multifamily. Those are the two main asset classes I'll be investing into um, at least for 22, maybe 23 and 24. But you know, I've never been in a position where when I go make all this capital, I've always had to, I have never was had the freedom to invest much of my capital because I had to keep it in order to keep my business going and keep my yeah, projects going. Reinvesting it. And we started Allied Land Fund in September um, that thank the Lord it fully subscribed in three and a half hours. And we're offering all of our investors a 20 pref. And, and so through that, through allowing them to be a part of our business model, now I don't have to keep all my capital in the business for the first time ever in my career. I can now invest my capital. And so yeah. it's a win-win for everybody, for our investors, because they're sharing in our high multiple returns. And for us, because we, for the first time in our careers, can actually invest our capital now. That's exciting. 
Yeah, I love what you said at that party. You said that you had just hired a CEO. It's really important to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. I'm a visionary too. I need yeah. that um, operations person or it's going to get messy. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, great. Awesome. Okay, and, and people can learn. Um, you have a program now, educational program called Best Right. Is that... Yeah, yeah. So my education company is called Vestrite, V-E-S-T-R-I-G-H-T. What I, um, my team created a link for, for the podcast. So if you go to vestrite.com um, slash Cody, my name, C-O-D-Y, uh, they, they have some great material there for you to learn more about what we do. And I mean, don't hold me to it. I can't make any guarantees, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone would learn probably more about my space just by going to that link than they probably have ever learned about my space ever. And it's just some free content there. And hopefully you find some value and, and, you know, beyond that, just follow me, Cody Bugan on, on Facebook. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're here to generate content and, and be a part of people's lives. Yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, there's a lot of people that will say, Oh, I've got this piece of land or I want to get this piece of land. I get calls all the time because we were doing pretty, pretty big entitlement deals and, and development yeah. deals. And, uh, and they just had no idea what to look for in that, in that situation. And some of these parcels, like my neighbor, I've said this before, I can look out my window and see a friend of mine who owns this piece of property. He's owned it for 10 years and he cannot get the entitlements. So it's a beautiful piece of property, but he can't develop it because it needs a road and it needs this and that. So, um, Obviously, if you're interested in land or developing land, you need to know the rules around it. You and sure the do. rules are different everywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great space, but if you don't know what you're doing, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're financing the land, which yeah. is what my friend did. So it's cost him another, it was a million dollars for the parcel, and it's cost him another million just in interest while he's holding it and can't do anything with it. He cannot get those entitlements. Uh, it's just, it's hard for the average person who's also very busy. And yeah, um, yeah. I know uh, just on one deal that I was, <laughs> I went down to the city to try to get permits on something. And no, we put a, we put a, a tiny house on our, on some land and got in trouble for it because you can't do that. Yeah. You, you have to have a house on it already. You can't just put a structure. And uh, so I went down to the city to kind of ask about it. And I, and I said some little snarky remark like, oh, but if I were uh, just living in my RV, I could park it anywhere. But because I own land and pay taxes yeah. on it, I can't park it there, right? Um, like, the, like the homeless, maybe it's better for me to be homeless yeah, um, yeah. and I can actually use this tiny house. And the guy goes, yeah. you're going to be homeless if you keep this up. <laughs> like, the last thing you want to do is upset the the city planners yeah. or any council people. Yes. <laughs> it is. It's definitely political. Yeah. Uh, you know, related to what you just said and your friend and bought the land and the interest in the land. If there's one thing that your listeners, if there's only one thing they could get from this, this, this call, just one thing. And it's just, this is like raw land development, like, number one rule is, is that land has an as is value, right? Whatever it's worth right there as is its current use, it's worth whatever. Okay. And then it's worth something else if it's developable. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's even worth something else once that development's approved, which yeah. is the business I'm in. Right. And that's why we're in the value add business related to raw land. Yeah. But 
please, please, please hear me. Don't go pay development values for land until the development approvals are in place. Yes. Okay. Because yes. what will happen is what happened to, to many people like your friend where they go and they buy it like a house transaction, like a normal transaction. They close in 30 days, 60 days, whatever, thinking, oh, it's zoned for development. I should just be able to go and develop it. Well, no, until you have that stamp of approval, all you have is whatever you see sitting there. And yeah. so if you're going to close now, you've got to pay as is value. If you're going to pay the higher development values, do not close without approvals. And because because there's story after story of people paying a premium for a piece of dirt that they ended up not being able to do what they hope to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Yeah. All right, Corey. Well, it's been certainly a pleasure. I uh, I hope someday we can do a deal together. We got. Yeah, sounds great. Would love that. That'd be great. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And um, great to have you here. I'm sure, I'll I'll see you again at you know. Uh, probably another Ken McElroy party or something. That sounds good. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you want to learn more about the real estate business and how you can buy cash flowing rentals, go to realwealthshow.com and sign up as a member for free. Once you're there, you'll get access to our very experienced investment counselors who can guide you into choosing the right markets and the right property teams and property managers to help you succeed. Again, you can do that at realwealthshow.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.